Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. We come before you, and as so many of the songs said this morning, you are faithful. Um, we come here, but you are already here and welcoming us into your presence. And I know, Lord, that you have been so faithful to speak to us in the past, Lord, and I know that you'll be faithful again. And so we come boldly and excited to hear from your word. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord. We don't need to hear the thoughts and opinions of a man. We need to hear from our God. We need to be reminded of your faithfulness, Lord. We need to be reminded that it would make all the sense in the world to trust in you. We need to be reminded, Lord, that you're a God who keeps your promises. And so we pray this morning that you would do that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, the passage that Melissa read uh, might seem a little bit strange to your ears, um, all this talk about oaths and how to do oaths and things like that. And uh, we might wonder, like, what's Jesus confronting here when he says not to take oaths and not to do swear in these different ways? And, um, and, you know, he's not confronting the Old Testament. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus saying, you have heard this, but I say this. And never is he, is he contradicting the Old Testament. He's contradicting the religious teachers of the day and how they had softened God's law. Um, because the Old Testament contains lots of vows, lots of oaths. Um, the Old Testament gave instructions about vows, mainly that we should always keep them. Um, but the religious leaders of the day had developed this increasingly complicated system of, of oaths. And, um, and they taught that not all of them needed to be kept, that there were certain ones that were binding and certain ones that weren't binding. It depended on the details. And so, for example, if you were in that time to swear by Jerusalem, you say, hey, I'm going to pay you back and I swear by Jerusalem. Well, that wasn't binding. Now, if you swore toward Jerusalem, that was binding. Or if you had sworn by the altar, you say, oh, you know, I'm telling the truth, I swear by the altar. That's actually not binding. Now, if you were to swear by the gift on the altar that would be binding, okay? Or, you know, you could swear by the temple, not binding. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, that was binding. You can see what's happening here. They're trying to create these little loopholes, right? So that you could actually back out of keeping your promises. You could imagine a guy coming up to another guy and saying, hey, you know, you told me to pay me back by Passover. You made an oath. Where's my money? And he goes, well, you know, you should have paid more attention, he goes, what do you mean? You promised an oath. Well, if you notice, the, the oath that I swore, I promised by Jerusalem, not toward Jerusalem. So really, I don't have to pay you. See, it's like kids crossing their fingers, right? Like, oh, I was crossing my fingers. They were doing that kind of thing. It's a way of softening God's law because God's law says, you know, do what you vow. Um, do your oath that you, you say. Always uh, tell the truth, you know. And it's in response to that system that Jesus said, this response to this complicated system, Jesus says, you know what, guys? Let's just uh, don't take oaths at all, okay? Let's just not take oaths at all. He says, let your yes be, or let it be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. Oaths aren't very common in our culture, but where do we take oaths? Can you guys think of some times you took an oath? Court would be a time. Marriage is an oath. What else? Military service, um, public office, some professions have oaths. I'm a veterinarian. We had a, a veterinarian's oath, a dentist have an oath, MDs have an oath. There's oaths that we take. And you might be thinking, is Jesus saying that we can never, ever take any oaths at all so that 
A Christian can never be in the military. A Christian can never, you know, testify in court. A Christian could never um, hold public office. I don't think that's his intention here. Because actually, if we look through the New Testament, we see Paul taking oaths multiple times in epistles. He'll say things like, God is my witness. That's an oath. Or Jesus testified in court under oath during his trial. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that we should be the kind of people that don't need oaths to back up our word. Okay? We should be the kind of people that we are so known for keeping our commitments that those who really know us would never ask us to swear an oath. They don't need it from us, right? Because they trust us. Um, they'll trust us because we've shown ourselves to be trustworthy. Now, there might be people that don't know us, you know, you think in court or a situation like that, people that don't know us and ask us to do an oath, an oath in the military service or something like that. That would be fine for a Christian to do. But the people who know us closely should be so utterly convinced that we'll follow through on our word that they never ask, well, do you promise? You know, can you, can you swear to that? They never ask us to do that. Um, and we live, guys, in a culture of broken promises. Um, politicians break uh, campaign promises. Get ready for that. Um, bosses and employees don't do what they say. You know, friends let us down, right? Spouses don't come through on what they say they'll do. Parents don't keep their commitments to their kids. And sometimes these things are really serious breaches of trust, like a marriage vow. And sometimes it's just annoying flakiness. Flakiness is rampant in our culture, guys. It's never been easier to be a flake. And one of the reasons it's never been easier to be a flake is text messaging, right? Have you guys endured text messaging flakiness, right? Texting offers a simple way to back out of your commitments without personally facing the disapproval of others. It actually says that on your phone. No, I'm just kidding. But texting offers a simple way to do that, right? I mean, before cell phones um, and, and texting, you either had to show up to things or totally stand them up. Those were your two options, right? Imagine you lived in the 90s, and some of you did. Um, imagine you lived in the 90s, and you've got a plan to meet some friends for dinner and a movie, right? And then you decide, you know what? I don't really want to do this. What do you do? So you call them. You call their house. Yeah, you used to call houses, not people. So you call their house, right? If they haven't left already, you call their house. And then if they didn't pick up, then what? Then you left a message on their answering machine. There was actually a machine hooked up to their phone that would do this. And hopefully they would come by and push the button. And then they would hear your message, hey, you know, I'm not going to make it. And then maybe they would call you back, and if they didn't get a hold of you, they would leave a message on your answering machine, and you could call them back, and you could leave a message on their answering machine, and this could go on eternally, right? It was very inconvenient. I don't know how we survived. Um, or if you couldn't get a hold of them, what were your choices? You could either totally stand them up or what? Show up. And guess what? Like before texting, we showed up to all kinds of things we didn't really want to go to because the only other option was to leave them sitting there with no word from you, right? But now it's so much easier, guys. I mean, think about this. Um, you guys have probably endured these kind of things before, but um, a lot of times they'll let you down in stages, right? So the first text is, I'm going to try to make it. What's the percent chance they're making it when they say, I'm going to try to make it? 25? Okay, we'll give it 25. And the next one is, man, I hope I can still make it. What's that one? Okay, 10, you give it 10. We'll go with the highest number. Man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. What's that one? That was like less than zero, right? That person is not making it. And then it's like, sorry, bro, I'm not going to make it. They kind of let you down in stages, guys. Um, and that's, that's what happens, guys. Texting is a flake's best friend. But Jesus says, Jesus says, 
Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. And guys, if we're honest, there's a more serious point. If we're honest, there are people in our lives that we just don't believe anymore, right? There are people in our lives that we know don't come through on any plans we make with them. And so when they say they're going to come, we probably give them right off the bat, maybe a 20% chance or something like that. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying, don't be that person. You know, don't be the kind of person that, that would, you would require an oath from to feel like they were actually going to show. And there are people like that in our lives that only if we say, hey, do you promise? Or you say, hey, this is really important. Can I count on you this time? Um, are you really going to come through for me this time? Those are ways of kind of putting forth an oath, right? And what it says, it's, a, it's saying this person is not credible. And Jesus is saying, don't let that be you. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus wants disciples his students, to be the kind of people who can be banked on when they say, I'll be there, I'll take care of it, I'll make it happen. And I just want to encourage you guys, we have a lot of people in this church like that. That when they say, I'll be there, I'll take care of it, I'll make it happen, you can bank on it. And they will crawl through broken glass <laughs> to keep their promises, right? Um, there's a, in, in Psalm 15, it says this. It says, the righteous keep their promises even when it hurts. Right? Isn't that an awesome? Even in, there's in other uh, versions it says that the righteous man keeps his word. He swears even to his own hurt. They keep their promises even when it hurts. The only commitments we shouldn't keep, guys, are commitments that would require us to sin. Those are the ones we should break those, you know? Um, there was a commitment that in Judges that Jephthah made. I don't know if you remember that story, but he makes this vow to God, and he says, you know, if you let us win in battle, the next uh, thing that comes through that doorway I'll offer is a burnt sacrifice to you. Well, that's like an insane, like, who did he think was going to come through the door? And so his daughter comes through, and he falls through on sacrificing her, because back in Judges, it was a time when people did whatever was right in their own eyes. They didn't think about Scripture. They didn't think about what God would really want. That's a vow he shouldn't have kept. That was a vow that, caught, that was sinful to keep. But guys, sometimes our promises are super hard to keep. Sometimes we make promises under social pressure, right, as people pleasers. Guys, if you can never say no, you have a problem with people pleasing. The proverb says it's a trap. And that's why you're constantly in these commitments you don't want to do, is you fall into the trap every single time. In Proverbs 29, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, and whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I just say to you guys, what would, I know this doesn't sound like really amazing or anything, pause, okay? Somebody asks you to do something, somebody asks you to make a commitment, pause. Why do you need to pause? You need to pause because in your heart, you tend to make a very fast calculation, you weigh the pleasing of the person in the moment with letting them down later or the cost of your commitment, and you choose every time to please the person ahead of you. Pause, right? It, 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 another thing you could do is try saying, let me think about it. I mean, that could save you from a lot of commitments you're not going to keep. Let me think about it. What's the Christian version? Yes, no one's going to argue with you on that. <laughs> let me pray about it, right? That's a good one. Uh, another one, very powerful for married people, let me ask my wife first. Like, no one's going to argue with that one, right? But guys, also, I'd say to you, learn to say no and, and endure the very brief pain of disappointing somebody in the moment and then keep your integrity in the future. Because some of us, we've lost lots of integrity because we didn't want to deal with the pain of disappointing someone in the moment. Learn to say no. Um, I was just thinking one of our songs we did this morning was one that we used to do when we did college ministry. And Josh Gumbert was our worship leader then. And I remember the first time I met him and I heard he play guitar. And I'm like, hey, maybe you could play guitar at our Bible study. And he knew he said Nope. Like, he didn't even, like, give me that. I was like, oh, okay. That's a firm no. And then he ended up doing it, which was awesome. But I love when somebody will just say no. We need to learn to say no. In the church, guys, 
we need to learn to say no. You know, we're going to, it's weird for a pastor to say this, right? You need to learn to say no. Sometimes we make promises rashly, not counting the costs. Sometimes we make promises and we run into costs that we couldn't have foreseen, right? That happens too. In any case, we should keep our commitments. Psalm 15, once again, says, the righteous keep their promises even when it hurts. And as we fall through every time keeping commitments to people uh, of, of that type, and we become the kind of people whose yes is yes and whose no is no. The kind of people who don't need to take oaths to be trusted. And guys, that's super important for our mission here. Because we're not only students of Jesus, he's actually made us ambassadors. Which is strange to make students ambassadors. But he does. He's made us his ambassadors, his representatives to the community. But you know what else is interesting here? I was looking through this and I was thinking about oaths. And I was thinking about how he said don't take oaths and don't you know, use that as a way to be trusted. But you know what's a strange thing? God does it all the time. Isn't that interesting? God told us not to take oaths, but throughout Scripture we see God over and over again making oaths and covenants throughout Scripture. Why does he do that? Why does he make all these promises and oaths and covenants when he tells us that we shouldn't rely on them? Well, it's not because God's not trustworthy. The problem with us is it's because we're so untrustworthy that we need to do that. With God, the problem isn't that he's untrustworthy. The problem is that we're so untrusting. And God is gracious and compassionate, and he knows that we struggle with our faith. So you know what he does? He makes oaths, he makes covenants, he gives signs, right, to remind us that he's faithful. Um, and as we see him come through on past promises, we're encouraged that we can trust him in the future. It's like this. Any of you guys go rock climbing. You know, the, the past promises are like the foothold you have. So you have your foot on a past promise. You can remember God was faithful to keep his promise to the Israelites. God was faithful to keep his promise to send Christ. You put your foot on that promise as you're reaching forward to try and trust him for the next promise. And he's, he's, he's gracious to give us these footholds and these handholds. And, and so God works throughout history through a series of oaths or promises we call covenants. And so there's multiple covenants. And if you want a book on that, this is a really cool book. that um, It's incredibly short. Um, and it's a book on the covenants. It's called Sacred Bond. It's by um, Michael Brown, uh, Covenant Theology Explored. Sounds exciting. It actually is really exciting. Okay, but there's a series of covenants. One, the first covenant was a covenant of redemption. This is a covenant or a promise made by the persons of the Trinity. Before he made the world, the persons of the Trinity got together and made a deal that they were going to save a people through Christ. There was the covenant of works where God made a covenant with Adam in the garden. There was a covenant of grace when Adam and Eve failed. In Genesis 3.15, he promises a redeemer to come. That's the beginning of a covenant of grace where God promises he's going to rescue us out of this mess we caused. Um, the next one is the Noahic covenant where God makes a covenant with Noah. There's the Abrahamic covenant where God makes a covenant with Abraham. There's the Mosaic covenant where the, God gives the law, right, through Moses. And then there's the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant is really cool. I love this one. Where God promises that there'll be a king that will reign eternally on David's throne. We know who that is, right? That's Jesus. And then there's the new covenant, the one we're enjoying right now. But God works through covenants with his people through promises. And I want to show you one of them in Genesis 15, if you want to turn there. One of the promises that God made is called the Abrahamic covenant. And it was made to Abraham about 4,000 years ago. Uh, you first see it in Genesis 12, but we'll be in Genesis 15. When he called God out, uh, or so he called uh, Abraham out of his hometown. He was 75 years old. And some of us have been through difficulty with recession and job loss and stuff like that, and you feel like you're starting over. Imagine this guy. He's starting over at 75 as a nomad. God's calling him out of his hometown at 75, and he has no kids, 
And yet God promises him him that he's going to be a father of a great nation. And that somehow he's going to bless the whole world through one of Abraham's descendants. And so a few years later, God appears to him again in Genesis 15, verse 1. Take a look at it. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will be my heir. He's saying, like, I don't even have a kid. I'm going to have to make this servant, you know, my, my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said to him, Look at the heavens and number the stars. If you're able to number them, he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Imagine it. Have you guys been outside the city and really looked up? Maybe you're out in the desert or you're out in the mountains on a crystal clear moonless night and you look up the stars and it's debatable how many visible stars are. Some people say there's like maybe 5,000. Some people say maybe 10,000. But imagine that he's looking out there and he's seeing all this blanket of stars. I mean, there's no, at that point, no light pollution or anything like that. He's out in pure darkness with God, just standing out there with God. I remember one time I was, when I was um, at Borrego one time, Anza Borrego Desert, and one night, and I was laying on my back, and I'm looking up at the stars, and it was the first time I really felt, I knew this, but I really felt like I'm laying on a sphere, spinning at 1,000 miles per hour, and hurtling through space at 67,000 miles per hour. You guys realize that our planet's being hurled through space at Mach 86. It's crazy, huh? And so old Abraham is there and he's looking up at the night sky, perhaps seeing maybe 10,000 visible stars, and they look countless to him. I mean, there's no way he can count these. He's, he's 75, probably doesn't have that great a vision anyway. But he's looking up, and, and what God's saying to him is, your offspring are going to be countless, you know? And, and Abraham has them now. Paul tells us that every believer in Christ, it's ever trusted in Christ, is a true son or daughter of Abraham. And so now he has countless descendants, way more than that, billions of them over time from every tribe and nation and people and language. But back then, guys, Abraham was just a 75-year-old guy with no child in sight. And God's promise seemed impossible to believe, you know? I I love how it says in the New Testament that, that he was good as dead, you know? It says real nice, you know? Like, that'd make a nice birthday card. Yeah, happy 80th, you're good as dead. And yet Abraham believed God. Look at verse 6. It says he believed the Lord and he counted it, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Guys, biblical faith is like that. It isn't a blind leap. People talk about biblical faith being a leap in the dark or, 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 or trusting in God in the absence of knowledge. Guys, biblical faith isn't a, a blind leap. Faith isn't believing in the absence of knowledge. Biblical faith is trust based on a knowledge of a person that you found to be trustworthy. And God had found Abraham over time to be trustworthy. We have found God over time to be trustworthy. We see the things he's done throughout history, and he, he's, he's a person we can trust. It says that Abraham believed God. And yet look at verse 8. Oh, Lord, how shall I know that I shall possess it? What does that sound like? Abraham doubts, right? I mean, why ask a question like that when God's just audibly, presumably, spoken a promise to you, and then what do you do? You go, how will I know I get it? Right? How about you guys? Have you ever struggled, in the midst of your faith, do you ever struggle to trust God? Abraham did, you know? And guys, our hearts, like Abraham's, are a mixture of faith and doubt. You guys realize that only those who truly believe can doubt. 
You just realize that? You say, like, I have lots of doubts. I don't know if I'm a believer. Only people that truly believe can doubt. Because doubt is different than unbelief. There are people that are unbelievers, and they have unbelief. They don't believe. Their issues with Christianity are called objections, okay? And a lot of times, they don't want answers to them. Believers have doubts and desperately want answers to them. That's the difference. And so um, doubt is not unbelief. And he has, in the midst of his faith, um, he has doubts. And doubts are belief struggling, right, guys? But the cool thing is that God's so compassionate, so gracious, that he keeps reassuring us of his promise and his covenant. And that's what he does here with Abraham. Look at verse 9. And God said to him, this is interesting, how do I know I'll get it? And this is what he says. Bring to me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things and cut them in half and laid them each half over against each other. And he did not cut the birds in half. Okay, this is a weird answer. What's happening here? What's happening here is an ancient practice called cutting a covenant. Okay? And so what happened in cutting a covenant when two people were going to make a solemn vow to one another, they would cut some animals in half and they would arrange them along a pathway, like put a half of the half the heifer here, half there, half the goat there, like that. And then the two people would make a vow to each other and they'd walk through it. And the, and the statement was, may God tear me in two if I break my oath to you. This was even the most serious of oaths were made by cutting a covenant. And so Abraham would have assumed that cuts these animals up and God's going to have him walk through it and take on whatever the cost would be of breaking the covenant. But watch what happens next. Look at verse 11. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, isn't that lovely? Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness came upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will sojourn in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Talking about the the Israelites in Egypt and, and their subsequent exodus. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. For you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, now watch who goes through between the cut up pieces. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So Abram's expecting that he's going to have to walk through these pieces of the animals and, and say, you know, if I don't keep my vow to you, cut me up, right? But he, doesn't, he isn't called to go through. Only God passes through. And so when this flaming torch goes through, it's a picture of God. And what God's saying to him is, you won't be liable to keep this covenant, Abraham. I will. Right? This is a unilateral covenant. It's, it's totally God's to keep. God's saying, your hope isn't, uh, isn't going to be in your faithfulness. It's going to be in mine. He's saying to Abram, in fact, the only one that's going to be torn in two to keep this covenant is me. And af- even after this promise, guys, in this graphic display, Abram falters to trust God, right? What does he do from here? He, he's, he's traveling through a land, and he comes to a land where the, the ruler of the, the land there um, would be kind of think that Sarah's hot. She's a very old woman, but she looked good. And, uh, and what does he do? He lies and he says, is my sister. And, and he takes her into his house. And that could have been a huge disaster, right? What's Abraham doing? He's trusting in sin rather than God to bless him. Look, he also ends up taking his uh, handmaid and Hagar, has sex with her, has a child with her, thinking that maybe God will bless me through this child, right? He's, he's trusting in sin instead of trusting in God to bless him. 
But guys, after that night in the desert, God, and when God cut that covenant, Abraham always knew that his security was in God's promise. And that it didn't depend on him, it depended on God's faithfulness. And like Abraham, guys, God has made a unilateral covenant with us. He has. God has promised to bless us and take all the costs upon himself. And God follows through, guys, on every promise he makes, no matter what it costs him. God's the kind of God that keeps his promises even when it hurts. Right? And it did hurt him. It hurt him deeply. It cost the father his son. It cost the son the cross. And on the cross, guys, we see God himself torn in two, taking on the full costs of our unfaithfulness. He's keeping his promise to us even when it hurts. Isn't that awesome? That's the awesome thing about God is, you know, religion is, hey, I'm going to work for God. I'm going to be a really good employee. And at the end, I'll get some sort of paycheck, right? But Christianity is when we are faithless, God is faithful. And we trust completely in his promise, in his word, and the things that he has done. That's what, that's what the gospel's about. And the cool thing is, guys, is that seeing God as faithful to his promises to us, even when it hurts, actually somehow strengthens us to keep our promises, doesn't it? When they hurt. You think, if God has my back, if God is going to come through on all of his promises, then I can come on through on mine, even if they cost me big time. And God's going to come through on all the things he's promised. What has he promised us from here on out? He's promised that he's going to cause everything in your life to work for your good. Even the most painful things in your life that somehow he's going to work to make you more Christ-like. He's promised to bring his kingdom here and make this whole world new. You know, there's been a lot of things the last few years and trying to hope in different leaders and stuff to make this world right. Christ himself, the king, is going to come and make this whole world new. Not somehow eject us to a place where we will live forever in a place designed for God. No, Revelation 21 and 22 says that he is going to come down and dwell in a place designed for man. Made new. When we pray things like your kingdom come in the Lord's Prayer, that's a prayer that will be answered. He's going to bring his kingdom here. He's going to make things new. He's going to make your body new. And some of you are younger and you're like, I'm good. And you are good for now. But he's going to make our bodies new. He's going to remove all pain and disability. Guys, he's going to make our brain chemistry right. I look forward to that. Right? It's going to be popping. Like the brain chemistry is going to be good. He says in Revelation that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. It's going to be a new world where we'll have new work to do, new exploration, new challenges, new joys. He's promised us that. Um, the, the preacher, Jonathan Edwards, um, he's an 18th century preacher, and he preached his first sermon when he was 18 years old. And this was his sermon. His main point was this. Christians should be happy. Point number one, our bad things will turn for good. Point number two, our good things will never be taken away from us. And the last one was, point three, the best things are yet to come. Isn't that awesome? Our, good things will be, our bad things will be turned to good. Our good things will never be taken away from us. And the best things are yet to come. Guys, God is so utterly faithful. He will do it. And he makes us faithful as we believe. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.